Yes, good morning, evening or afternoon, depending on when you are tuning into this latest episode of Edie's Susty Talks, our one-on-one -on -one audio interviews with sustainability leaders from across the world to help us stay a little bit more connected and more informed. Um, and I'm delighted to have on the line with me today Dana Haidan, who is the Chief Sustainability Officer at Virgin Media O2, a company I'm sure a lot of Edie listeners will be familiar um, with, but I don't think I've actually interviewed you before, Donna, is that right? Yes, it's the first time and I'm very much looking forward to the discussion. No, great. Thank you so much um, for hopping on. We were just off the call there saying that, yeah, a lot of the sustainability team um, at Virgin Media O2 have been there a while. And even though you're C CFO, you sometimes feel a little bit like the newer kid. Um, on the block. And we always start these with an introduction to our interviewee. Um, so Dana, it'd be great to hear a little bit about your, your career um, and about your role as CSO at Virgin Media O2. Sure, thank you for having me. Um, I am definitely the new, the new kid in town. I joined uh, Virgin Media O2 in November, uh, but I've been working in the sustainability space for over 15 years now. Um, always in the tech space um, because I do believe in the power of technology when it comes to accelerating the move towards a more sustainable, um, more sustainable economies. And um, and so I started um, in, at Vodafone um, in managing or leading um, a number of different teams in uh, various markets um, and focusing on the sustainability reporting side of things, um, really looking at um, how do we report on our sustainability performance and uh, improve our transparency in this space um, and over time uh, got involved in a number of different projects um, that are focused on online child safety for instance um, on the charitable donation side of things and the role of technology to help the charity sector um, kind of increase uh, or support their fundraising efforts um, and then moved over to Visa in the world of payments uh, after uh, over nine years at Vodafone uh, and I was leading the European regions, um, sustainability and social impact, um, strategy development and execution, um, and stayed there for uh, four years um, and then moved over to um, Virgin Media to uh, for the past almost, well, seven months now. Um, yeah. Fabulous. And um, we here at ED, ED, our primary focus is on environmental sustainability, but um, you touched on it there, Dana, and just listing these many things that you focused on throughout your career that for, for the telecoms um, and digital sectors, that is really tied up in some of these social topics that you mentioned, charitable giving, digital access, child safety. Um, so it was great to get an email from you asking to come on this feature and talk about intersectional approaches to sustainability, which I think a lot of companies are looking at and thinking about. Um, but wondering where to start and what that means. So, so I'd love to hear a little bit about how in cementing its new strategy, the business went about defining um, intersectionality and why that was so important for the business. For a lot of professionals in this space, most of, most of us have started in this space focusing only on the environmental side of things. Um, but after a while doing this, uh, and especially now we're seeing actually it's it's all over everything is so connected from us in terms of social in terms of economic um environmental uh, it's all um, overlapping and interconnected and 
whatever happens in the environment impacts so many other uh, areas um, of our lives and therefore we cannot treat sustainability as just an environmental focus anymore. Uh, and that's why intersectionality is more relevant now than ever before. And if I were to define it really in its simplest kind of in simplest terms, intersectionality is really about how different forms um, of our sort of social identity, including our ethnicity, gender, class, sexuality, they all overlap and therefore they all impact the way we experience the impacts of, um, of, uh, of climate change. People are often disadvantaged by multiple layers of oppression at once, and the effects of a changing climate um, are not experienced equally around the world. And there are so many communities who lose more than others, um, compounding deep-rooted societal and systemic inequalities. So when we've kind of uh, started the work on the ESG strategy at Virgin Media 2, that theme became really central in the way the strategy was developed. We needed to make sure that whatever we decide is going to be the focus areas of our strategy, we need to uh, really make sure that people who are impacted by these focus areas are on are on the table and are included in the process of, um, of us putting our goals and commitments in place. And so for us, um, kind of, the biggest focus was to start on who are the people who are going to be really impacted by climate change. And one group we wanted to focus on was young people as a primary focus or as a starting focus, because their voices are very, very, um, very loud now over the last few years, which is great to see. They are, are sent, they were central in the last COP, um, which was also great to see. And it was the first time ever we see youth having such a prominent presence at a COP event. And so we also are seeing a lot of really young leaders, like in Chile, the president who's very much climate focused, he is, I think, about 35 years old. And so depends on your definition of what young means. But in general, the theme at the moment is how climate change will impact future generations who will inherit these challenges. And so we made sure that um, that was a huge focus. And so we've um, launched a couple of years ago our Youth Advisory Council, who are really central to everything we do in this space. They are our critical friend who hold us accountable. They help us shape our focus areas. They help us shape our um, kind of even narrative around it. They they are really loud and clear when it comes to are we doing enough or do we need to do more? Um, and, and that's going to be um, a kind of continuing a partnership that we very much cherish and value. That all makes complete sense. And it, it sounds like it um, you guys are really taking strong steps to turn this, yeah, from like a concept into embed it um, into a strategy. And I wanted to get your advice on how other businesses can do that. And something that sprung to mind when I was thinking about how to create an intersectional um, strategy is, as you mentioned, who's in the room and who helps to develop and implement that strategy. Like a lot of times when businesses get accused of having an ineffective advert or strategy in this way, people say, oh, well, it's clear that not a single young person was consulted here. A woman couldn't have signed off this advert. No people of colour could have signed off um, yeah. this advert. Um, so I wanted to get your advice for businesses going about inviting new voices into that strategy design and project delivery process. Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it um, there, which is, are they in the room when these decisions are being made? Um, and often, I definitely, 
seen that um, in my career where we start out to put we start putting strategies and, and amazing programs together to help support certain segments um, with the best of intentions, only to realize actually they were the, the whole design of the problem was not really grounded in the actual needs of, of that segment. Um, and so the one size fits all approach doesn't work uh, when it comes to tackling these issues. And we're seeing that now more than ever. And so it starts with that. Our, who's this, who, whatever you're trying to do, who is it trying to serve? And are they in the room? Um, are they on the table uh, and are you inviting them to be part of this process? That for me is absolutely central. I know it's easier said than done and it's um, there is no easy or simple way to do this because some of these issues are really, really complex. I mean, one of the challenges that we've um, seen at Virgin Media too is, uh, as you know, we have a huge focus on digital inclusion and data poverty. And so especially now with the cost of living crisis, it became clear to us that there's a role we to play for us as a, a telco provider. And so we've launched the National Data Bank in partnership with the Good Things Foundation in 2021 through which we provide free connectivity um, to vulnerable people around the UK, and they have access to that through one of the 1,000 uh, data centers around the country. The program was, was designed working very closely with the people who are working with that segment um, on a daily basis. The Good Things Foundation are a leading uh, NGO in the digital inclusion space. They work very closely with these segments that are impacted by this issue. And so for us, having them part of that was absolutely central because we could have done this as we're going to give free connectivity uh, through any of our stores, and we have many stores around the country, and we could have launched a big campaign, ad campaign around it, and it would have been just us doing this um, as a big brand, uh, but it wouldn't have been as impactful as it is uh, today. And that's why bringing in the Good Things Foundation is what actually made it, in my mind, one of the best practices in the industry. And now we're finding um, other players in the industry joining us Um most recently, uh, we had Vodafone join us, and and so now it's becoming a best practice in the industry, um, which um, just it speaks to uh, kind of how when you really think about intersectionality in implementing such initiatives, it really works. Yeah, that makes complete sense that sometimes what you think might be the most impactful or the most vis visible thing to do is not necessarily the right one. And you've mentioned there the importance of having voices in the room when you're developing a strategy. I also wanted to get your advice on involving people in programs as as they carry um, as they carry on, essentially, to help evolve them and make sure that they're still just as impactful. Yeah, I mean, the kind of I think a big part of it is kind of re removing that thinking of one size fits all, which is very common when you're dealing with very complex issues like digital inclusion, for instance, or data poverty, we have a fix, which is great. Let's give people free connectivity and that should help. Um, that should help them. And we've, we've done our part. A lot of the time, you know, you find a fix and it works. But if you don't continue asking the tough questions to really question whether or not it's working, you're not going to unlock the potential of what you're trying to do here. So in our case, again, just if I'm using the National Data Bank as an example, we've come up with this great program with the Good Things Foundation. It's now we've connected over 
30,000 people over the last year and a half. And over time, we started to work very closely with the Good Things Foundation to measure the impact of this work on the people who are actually using the National Data Bank. And what we found out was that actually some uh, many of the people who are using the National Data Bank don't even don't have access to devices. So that became a barrier because what's the point of having connectivity if they don't have devices? And so that led to us uh, evolving into figuring out, again, finding who are the partners within the community that really understand this issue at a deep level and bringing them on board. So we've uh, ended up looking at device donation and device lending as another focus or as the next layer. And so we partnered with Hubup, who's an environmental charity that does uh, a lot of work around e-waste, but in particular handset donation um, and lending. And we've launched a program called Community Calling. And what we do through Community Calling is essentially take devices from people who are not using them. I'm sure you and I are one of these people. Every single one of us has a device sitting around at home collecting dust. Um, and so what we do is we take those devices and we give them people to people who actually need them. And these are people that are really vulnerable, like um, victims of domestic violence in, in ref, refugee uh, so, uh, kind of in shelters, refugee and asylum seekers, um, low income um, individuals. Um, and so that kind of became a model that we would want to scale up and expand. We started it about six or seven months ago, and within that period, we've rehomed over 15,000 devices, which was incredible to see in, a, in what was meant to be a pilot. And so now we're really focusing on scaling that up and figuring out how do we kind of create a, a nationally adopted device donation scheme to first tackle the e-waste issue that we have in the UK, because it's a huge issue. Uh, and secondly, use that, take a problem, an environmental problem like e-waste and convert it into a digital inclusion solution. And so if it weren't for kind of us continuing to um, kind of measure the impact and see if it's uh, if the programs are working, we wouldn't have been able to identify that other issue, the second issue, which is on the device side of things. Yeah, that intersect between yeah e-waste and digital inclusion is is a pretty clear one. And it's good to see so many businesses collaborating to tackle those at scale. Um, and I wanted to come on to something you, you sort of mentioned in passing, um, Dana, which is the cost of living crisis. And as you said, it can exacerbate the need for some of these things like digital um, access, like affordable devices. But at the same time, in sustainability, we're hearing from a lot of people, oh, my CEO is really pushing for just short termism, like intersectionality isn't really on the agenda. Uh, we just need to make efficiency improvements and drive down costs. So I wanted to get your thoughts on what the cost of living crisis could mean for intersectional approaches to um, the sustainability profession. Yeah, the cost of living crisis is actually the kind of, I think, one of the, I would say, issues that led many companies to really expand how they think about their products and services and the kind of customers that are served by their products and services uh, because it is it, it is a kind of an at a national level uh, it's impacting uh, almost everyone and so a lot of companies had to rethink the way they do business and the way they they serve their customers because of the cost of living crisis and in our case what we found 
was when living costs are rising and people's finances are under increasing pressure. Um, as a business, uh, we have uh, put into place several kind of measures to help those most in need to get online and stay connected um, to loved ones. And what we saw is what we found is that a lot of people, especially when during the cost of link crisis, they had to make really tough choices. Um, and so if they had to choose between food and shelter and connectivity, connectivity is the first thing that goes out of the window, obviously, because, you know, just the financial pressure is immense at the moment when households around the UK. So uh, we've had to kind of think about what is our role here as a connectivity provider uh, and we know connectivity is central to help to uplifting people out of poverty. And so we thought of kind of we've introduced a number of different things. Um, we've um, introduced um, our dedicated social uh, broadband tariffs or, or essential broadband, which only costs about £12 uh, per month. Um, and that's for people who are on a, on a number or a range of benefits. And uh, that's universal credit, um, income based employment support allowance and income based job seekers allowance. And we've expanded the criteria of that in before the the it was only eligible for about 10 uh, sorry 1 million people and we've expanded the eligibility over the last two months and now it's about over 10 million people are eligible for our essential broad, broadband social tariffs and we've also um, introduced um, or we offer a talk protected landline service uh, which provides inclusive evening and weekend calls um, and keeps sort of prices fixed for phone only customers and usually those and this is tar targeting customers who are over the age of 65 or those who have additional accessibility needs uh, we've also have expanded the list of websites for or to customers uh, to access without using any of their data allowance and a lot of these websites are focused on financial well-being and date and debt advice which is right now very much needed by by many people and so a lot of these kind of a lot of this evolved because we had to think about who are the customers that are usually left out when you're trying to kind of increase your profits and you're trying to kind of meet your targets quarter to quarter. And what became clear is right now, the people who are struggling are vulnerable customers um, and customers that are, um, that are kind of um, facing various levels of difficulties. Um, and so, that's why intersectional thinking, I think, is good not only for us delivering our own ESG targets, but also good for us as a business. Yeah, I think that last point is so important that this really does help build in business resilience. So I, I wanted to get your thoughts on the fact that not all companies are going to be as forward thinking as Virgin Media O2. Um, in this way, we'll have some small businesses that really feel that they are um, squeezed and can't necessarily take this approach or, or that efficiencies might be important at this time. So what would what would you say to people looking to be better advocates for intersectional sustainability at this challenging moment in time? Yeah, I mean, definitely um, anyone who's working or leading sustainability strategies for um for, for a business, especially cons uh, kind of a, a B2C business, definitely the challenge will always be how do you do the right thing while also ensuring that you're supporting the business's commercial momentum and commercial priorities and objectives. And we bring in as sustainability professionals within businesses, we are 
the people who look after or who look at the segments that are not typically the the kind of our the general business would focus on right your 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 customer segmentation as a business is very different from what a sustainability team would look at and so as a team we look at we focus on on the on the customers that are left out generally and that need specific needs from our business and these are as i said vulnerable customers and they're digitally excluded and so the way my advice the way if, to kind of how do you bring this in into the discussion and it's not an easy conversation to have because obviously sometimes you you can be met with um well you know these are our segments and this is are the customer that we serve and therefore this needs to to remain our focus but what you bring into the table as sustainability professionals is you are kind of opening um, the business's eyes to new segments that we have not traditionally served or focused on in the past. Um, and at the same time, we are we are we're bringing in um, kind of creativity and innovation around the way we serve those segments, because the kind of products and services that we develop for these segments are not the ones that we would have thought about um, if we hadn't to if we hadn't started thinking about the needs of the of those um, of those segments. And so a lot of what we've done around our essential broadband um, and around our cost of living support work um, was a kind of a different way of thinking and bringing in a new perspective. Um, and so and it does stretch people sometimes, especially product teams and brand teams and marketing teams, because, as I said, they're not the traditional segments that we would focus on. But everybody at the end at the end of the day would see the value of uh, kind of bringing in a new perspective and thinking of products and, and services in a different way. And so that would be sort of my advice is pushing, uh, always advocating for those segments by looking at them as yet another uh, group of customers that you could be supporting and serving that just have different needs from your kind of traditional customer base completely understand that I love that about this it being the role of a sustainability professional to open the eyes of the others in the business as we've already seen this with moving like carbon accounting or nature up the up the agenda so I yeah as you say it can be done again it's an opportunity for creativity and innovation so I think that's such a positive takeaway to um, leave this susty talk on Dana thank you so much for your time pleasure thank you for having me